Welcome to This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Now is your chance to get caught up in all that's happening in technology around Akron and the rest of the world. Now here's your host, Gene Destro. This week, how the federal government is planning now for a time when new quantum computers make all of our current computers obsolete and the security measures we use to protect them completely worthless. Sounds pretty scary, right? Well, on the one hand, it is. But on the other, it means we're on the verge of what could be the most significant and transformational information technology breakthrough ever which could create new jobs, new industries, and usher in a whole new world of opportunities we can't even imagine right now. So what exactly is quantum computing, and why is it such a big deal that President Biden is directing federal agencies to come up with a plan to protect critical infrastructure from the challenges it presents? We asked physics professor Dr. Sue Ramlow, who lectures on the topic at the University of Akron. In physics, there is Newtonian physics and there's quantum physics. So Newtonian physics is what we're used to seeing. So somebody throws a football, we can see where it goes. It's only at one place at any given time, right? It obeys laws of what I'll call macroscopic physics, right? Things that we can see even if it's under a microscope. When we talk about quantum physics, things change and become very peculiar. So, for instance, unlike the football analogy, right, a, a particle like an electron in quantum physics can actually be at two locations at the same time. A quantum computer would be astronomically faster than even a big computer today, like, a, like the kind of computers that they might have at Ohio State. So... For instance, in a regular computer, we have either zeros or ones. That's basically a digital way of computing, right? And you can have a zero or a one because of the special things that happen at the subatomic level in quantum physics. We could have a qubit that holds twice as much information. It could have a zero and a one simultaneously. And this is really what makes quantum computers so much faster. So one of the main reasons I wanted to talk to you about this today is that the Biden administration just came out with a new directive saying that federal agencies should start preparing now for a future of quantum computers and to come up with new encryption standards because all the cybersecurity protections we have in place now will apparently become completely useless in the future. Why is that? comes back to the speed of quantum computing or the potential speed of quantum computing because right now there are quantum computers, but they can't really process faster than our normal computers based on kind of Newtonian physics principles. So in cryptography, we have complex coding that happens, and the idea is that you could do something like maybe you see something in the movies where right, they go through you know, each possible configuration of breaking a code. Right? You could think of it as like the decoding ring in A Christmas Story, except far more complicated. So what happens when you have quantum computing is because 
the process speed and the complexity of algorithms and problem solving that it would be capable of. That means that cryptography coded things that make it hard to break into your bank account website. Suddenly, it's that difficult because we can then just process and go through breaking that code that much faster. So quantum computing makes current cryptography basics, they need to basically be become more complex. Quantum computing would let you do that, but then quantum computing also, right, if you're not the one who has the quantum computer, it means that current protected website would be much more easily hacked because they would be able to break those codes because of the complexity that a quantum computer can attack. So you can think of it as a regular computer can solve pretty complex problems, but there's a limitation to that in a certain time frame. Quantum computers don't have that same limitation. So that's why having quantum computing and and investing more in quantum technologies, quantum information systems is so important because you want to get there first. So for instance, NIST, the National Institute of Science and Technology, has been doing research in quantum computing for a long time. The idea of a quantum computer actually is fairly old. It actually came out in 1980. So in a 42-year span, right, we've come from an idea to being able to create these quantum computers. So we're getting to the verge of probably a huge breakthrough. So NIST is working on that. They're partnered with the University of Maryland and the University of Colorado at Boulder, IBM, Microsoft, a lot of the big names that we associate with computing. They are also working on quantum computing, but so are other countries like China. So we know China has created quantum computers as well. So we don't want them to get there first, right, and be able to infiltrate our banking system, our electric grid, anything that is basically protected. So that's the basic idea of why it's so important to be ahead of the game in this kind of, it's kind of like the new space race. Right now it's the quantum computing race. Okay, so I understand the challenges of it from making sure that we need to be prepared for this to happen. But it sounds like to me what it means is that everything that we use from our PCs to our iPhones to supercomputers at the Defense Department, that all of that will essentially be archaic junk once this new computing system comes into being. Is that true? Right, because the technology will just make that kind of leap. So you could think of it, I was at a reunion when I worked in industry. We had, up until the pandemic, we've had an annual gathering and a group of us were talking about how when, when computers required cards, so they were paper cards with chads, if we remember the hanging chad, that's what those were about when we used to punch holes in, like, voting into cards. So you can think about that. That was 
when I was an undergrad in the early 80s, that's where we started in computer programming, which was to use a big mainframe and IBM 1000, and, you know, it filled the computer room, which had to be cooled, and we had these cards, and you had to type the cards, and if you made a mistake, right, somebody would put your stack of cards into the computer and read your program. If there was a mistake, they gave it back to you and the printout, and then you had to type a new card. That really wasn't that long ago. That was that actually was happening about the time the idea of quantum computing was being talked about. And so we can see that we've gone from that to where we are now. So there's just such a progression. Now, a lot of people remember using Apple IIEs where we had a five-and-a-quarter floppy disk and it could hold 512 kilobytes of information. And that just seems absolutely ridiculous when you talk to students, for instance, about how that was a reality really in my lifetime, not that long ago. And our current technology is just going to go that same way, the way of the dinosaurs. When we look back 20 years from now, we'll think that iPhones were just such a simple tool <laughs> instead of thinking about them as a complex computer that can go to the Internet, do all kinds of things, tell us. I, my elderly father used to say, how do they get all that information in that little phone? And to him, it was amazing. He was 90. It was just beyond comprehension of what his reality was like for most of his life. And that'll be just the same for everybody else, that today's technology is tomorrow's junk. Right, but it's going to be then extremely, one, difficult, and two, expensive, right, to transition over to all of the new hardware and all the new software we're going to need. It'll happen progressively. So the most important aspect of quantum computing is solving really complex problems. So it has implications for physics and chemistry, high-energy physics, all, all kinds of advances, pharmaceutical creations, and there's endless problems that can be solved with basically better and faster computers, not any different from comparing 1980 to today. But as far as what we use, right, it'll be just like the microprocessor where the first microprocessors weren't in people's homes. People didn't have personal computers that was something that progressed over time. And quantum computing will be the same way, so that really what will be the most important is protecting people's information, cybersecurity. That's where we'll see quantum computing come about first. Because that's the greatest peril, and so that's where it will begin. But then, you know, over time, one day we could have a phone or something like that or something we can't even imagine that's based on quantum computing instead of microprocessors, for instance. So it, it would be a, a very different reality. It's, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around, and it's hard. As Niels Bohr, a famous physicist, always said, you know, things are hard to predict, especially about the future. So <laughs> That's a good one, yeah. yeah. I know. It is one of my favorites. <laughs> I guess the big challenge, what I'm really concerned about is how 
will the United States government, the Defense Department, the energy grid, and even our banks be able to protect against what will obviously be bigger, badder, stronger cyber attacks enabled by technology we can only just kind of barely imagine today? How will that all work out? And will we be able to ensure that our stuff will be protected? And what happens between the time when it starts being a thing until when it then kind of matures? That's a great question. Basically, cryptography and the algorithms used are just going to end up becoming more advanced. And they'll be able to do that through quantum computing because we can create more complex coding, is the short answer, to protect banks and things like that so that data is protected. But that doesn't mean that the banking system, right, doesn't mean that key bank in their headquarters will have a quantum computer. It'll have to do more with their website protection, for instance, or right their access to the Internet or the Internet's access to them so that it will be... It'll be kind of like a chicken or egg kind of thing where quantum computers become a reality as long as we're on that end, right? Then we can use those to create more complex systems to make it more difficult for people who don't have quantum computing or even people who might be on the verge of quantum computing to protect all of our infrastructure whether it's banking or the electric grid or defense systems. And, and again, that's why I'm glad to see the Biden administration jumping into this so that we're basically moving forward. It's not that the United States hasn't been doing anything with quantum computing. They've been involved for a long time. But we really need to bring it to the forefront and help people understand why it's important. It's kind of hard in everyday life to kind of grasp how things might change, especially technologically. Advances at this point in time are so exponential that I think it's hard for most Americans to really grasp even what's happening in their phone and how that works or even how not to fall for we'll call basic cyber attacks like phishing schemes or on Facebook where somebody duplicates your profile and then tries to friend your friends and then so on. Those things are really actually pretty simple when we think about them compared to cryptography, which is much more complex. So it seems like it's almost unbreakable and Good cryptography is very difficult to break, but with quantum computers, the difficulty level will not be high anymore. So we need quantum computing to create more complex cryptography so that, in turn, everything is more protected. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. So it sounds like from what I read about what the Biden administration is doing is that they are putting together a policy and starting Mm -hmm. to tell federal agencies, look, you need to prepare for this and then you need to come up with a budget and you need to tell us how much it's going to cost for us to essentially protect our country and our critical infrastructure. Right. Yeah. And and it's always best in cybersecurity 
security to be on the offensive opposed to the defensive. You can score when you're on the offense. You can't score usually when you're on the defense. So, yeah, I think it's becoming likely that quantum computing will become a reality, and, and it's important to be prepared for that and to look forward and say, all right, so say quantum computers are reality tomorrow, right? It's not enough to start planning for their arrival after they arrive. You have to plan ahead of time and figure out, you know, what would you need? What's the, what are the most important things for you to protect? How could you protect them? What lines of defense are there looking ahead opposed to reacting once quantum computers are reality and hackers start hacking in a more sophisticated way. So it's a proactive stand, and, and that, that's important. So we need to be prepared. It's like having the atomic bomb. You know, you don't want to use it, but you need to be prepared for somebody else. And it's kind of that, maybe not a good analogy, but kind of that same idea. You just need to prepare because it's coming. We just don't know when. And it's time to think about all of the things we need to do once quantum computing is here. And it just seems at this point inevitable. There's certainly still a lot of problems with quantum computers. They're not as stable, meaning there are things happening at the quantum level that make quantum computers work, but there's also things happening at the quantum level that make them not work, I guess is the best way of explaining it. And so it just makes sense to be prepared and look to the future and how we will address the inevitable arrival of quantum computers at this point so that we can be prepared. Right. So I'm looking at it like from a layperson's point of view and recognizing one, Mm -hmm. the federal government has got a plan or at least they're putting a plan together. And of course, Mm -hmm. their first priority is going to be to do things like protect missile silos and aviation systems and the electric grid. And then, of course, the banking system, the U.S. Treasury, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's going to be their priority and rightly so, which is fantastic. Uh But then I'm looking at my home computer and maybe like external hard drives that I have years and years and years worth of data that's important to me. And that if somebody got a hold of it, it would be bad for me. But I'm not going to be able to afford a quantum computer probably anytime soon. And even if I do get one, what happens to all those peripherals that I have had for years and years with all my data going back to, you know, my baby pictures? Uh, Suddenly, (laughs) not that anybody's going to want to hack my baby pictures, but you know what I mean. (laughs) Right, yeah. The the point is, is that even if I get a brand new spiffy quantum computer, which who knows when I'll be able to afford one. I've got all this other stuff that's encrypted with today's technology. Right. Well, and it'll be a lot like, you know, when people bring their hard copy pictures to get digitized or their VHS tapes of their family gatherings to become more like iMovies. It'll be probably that same kind of thing where, and it will progress. And chances are that Some of those things will be readable and how they're stored and how they're read won't necessarily be different. At this point, the best thing you can do is just practice really good cybersecurity kind of self-practices. That's right now, right? Like you said, I mean, chances are if there's 
quantum computing and somebody wants to go out and hack a system, they don't want your baby pictures. What they want is access to money, national security, secret, things like that. So that's where all those things will start. I mean, truly, the computer complexities and cryptography at the Defense Department, for instance, is far better than anything on your phone or your PC. So those things would be where they would start first. And and because things are incremental, I mean, you can think of, I know people who still use data or files that are 20 years old, but sometimes you have to open them, you know, it's like Microsoft Word, right? So maybe you have an old Word document. At some point, you need to open it up and then save it as a .docx because future iterations of Microsoft Word might not be able to open your ancient copy just because it used different storage or just reads it in differently and it doesn't recognize it as a Word document anymore. So, but those things happen over technology world a relatively long period of time. So your information wouldn't be affected by quantum computing until it becomes normalized so that people would have that kind of computer in their home. If you think back as far as mainframes, mainframes came about in like the 50s and people didn't start getting personal personal computers until maybe, you know, the early 80s. But those computers couldn't do half the things that those big IBM mainframes could do. And that'll be probably the same kind of progress that we'll see. You know, we'll have quantum computers that are used in government and big business. And then we won't necessarily have quantum computers, at least, you know, not for some time after that. So there's always a lag when it comes to personal devices because it, like you said earlier, it, for one thing, it has to become affordable. And, I mean, I remember my first calculator, it could add, subtract, multiply, and divide. That was it. <laughs> and it cost $45 in, like, 1977. And, you know, now you can buy one that can do even more than that at Walmart for, like, 99 cents. And, and that's the same kind of thing that will happen with this kind of technology. It'll just... Some people might be able to afford it, but it'll take a while before it comes down to the personal level. That was physics professor, University of Akron lecturer, and technology consultant, Dr. Susan Ramlow. And that's it for now. Stay happy and healthy, and we'll see you again next week. That was This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Tune in next week for more tech news on 93.5-1590-WAKR and WAKR.net.